Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. From the newsroom to the nursery. We're juggling a demanding career on live television with the demands of motherhood. I'm Katie. I'm Karen. And I'm Ingrid. They are anchor moms. All right. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of Anchor Moms. Uh, coronavirus, it continues. We're still Skyping from home. Um, how you guys doing? Okay, at the moment. Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's early enough in the day where Karen's like, I can right? do this. Yeah, I know. I do have these, don't you guys have these ways of like, all right. Like we talked last week about the silver linings, like I'm just going to enjoy my kids and just kind of, yep. you know, look at this in a positive light and just get through it. And then you have those moments where you're like, oh my gosh, I uh, yeah. it another second. I can't do right. it. Anyway. Hey guys, I had to go into work this week, like into the actual building because oh. we had severe, yeah, we had severe weather. We had tornado warnings and actual mm-hmm. confirmed tornadoes, which, um, you know, I, I could try to have done from my home office, but, um, in that scenario, it's kind of like wall to wall coverage. So we're on the air nonstop. So anyways, I had to go in and our chief meteorologist was also there. So I put on a mask and did the whole thing. So I wasn't contaminating him or I wasn't getting what he potentially has. Um, and he has a son actually that has um, an underlying health condition. So it just kind of complicated the whole matter. Um, but at the same time, you know, tornadoes are deadly. And in fact, somebody did die one of these tornadoes. So, I mean, this is, you know, we, we have to be on the air. So anyways, that was my week. That was earlier in the week. Um, since then things have gotten back to normal. So did you wear a mask on air? I forgot to ask you this. Yeah. Yeah. I wore a mask on air. And I even said to viewers because, you know, I was, it was, it was showing my weather graphics. It was showing the potential tornadoes, but you could hear my voice. And I was like, look, like my voice might be muffled right now, but I'm wearing a mask because I'm sitting close to Jason, our chief meteorologist. And my face was getting so hot and sweaty wearing this mask (laughs) and trying to talk at the same time. But you know, I just, I kept it on. So, you know, hopefully we're, hopefully we're safe. Um, yeah. Our chief is like quarantine in himself right now from his um, family and wearing a mask and stuff just in case he got something at work. I mean, work is different now. Everyone has to wear a mask. People are wearing gloves. Um, you know, every, we're taking all these precautions as a lot of mm-hmm. our listeners, of course. Wow. That is crazy. Well, um, so speaking about precautions and mm-hmm. everything that people are doing to protect against this. So we actually have a special guest, uh, this week on the podcast, Jenna Marcus, and she is a doctor in New Jersey. Uh, she works for, uh, Rutgers university hospital. And she told us that about 60% of her patients are COVID patients right now. Um, just unbelievable the stuff she's dealing with, but she's also a mom of a three-year-old uh, like Ingrid and I, and Katie's of course got an almost two-year-old now. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, so she had a really good perspective on 
how to juggle all of this, both with what she's seeing, some great information about COVID itself, and also uh, how to handle this as a mom these days. So uh, here she is. So good morning, Jenna. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, well, I just kind of want to jump right in. So you were are an OBGYN, but since COVID has happened, you've drastically switched roles. Uh, tell us what you're doing day in and day out there in New Jersey and the patients that you're dealing with through all this. Absolutely. Thank you for having me here today to talk about this. Um, so yes, I am. my background is I did a residency in OBGYN, and then I further subspecialized into something called GYN oncology. So I take care of um, patients who have gynecologic cancers. I do their surgery and their chemotherapy. Um, and as a part of that, I also do some of the palliative care, sort of the supportive care that's centered around suffering from cancer, not necessarily associated with death and dying, but supportive care. Um, so when COVID happened and sort of hit the Northeast, what seems like many months ago, it was only about a month ago, um, you know, we were transitioning and looking for ways to help. Um, I was initially deployed to the ICU to work in the critical care unit um, and help take care of some of the patients, but quickly noticed that the need was less so from my medical background or perspective and more from the palliative uh, perspective that I have. Since we know that patients who are severely ill with COVID um, sometimes, you know, don't do well and do need to have those sort of supportive conversations. Um, we call them goals of care. You know, what would the patient want? What would any of us want? You know, if we weren't able to make decisions for ourselves. And so we, um, we created, or I helped to create something called the palliative care mobile unit where we've been mobily going around the hospital um, from floor to floor since most of our hospital is filled with, with COVID patients um, and helping to facilitate some of those conversations with both patients and families. Wow, so, so how, gosh, how, um, how tough is that to talk to these patients um, and, and I, I would assume, I and mean, what is the, like I would think there's not much time sometimes in these cases Exactly. to prepare. You are exactly right. So, you know, it's, these are, these are difficult conversations and, you know, we are uniquely trained in that we're cancer doctors. So we, we have a background in, in taking care, you know, and talking about these types of difficult things. Um, but cancer, most of the time gives you some time to be able to have these conversations, whereas COVID is not giving us a lot of time, right? We have a lot of patients who come in who either right out the bat can't make decisions for themselves or who are already placed on a ventilator and aren't able to talk or make those decisions. Um, so really the hard part is um, being able to have those conversations with family, find out who is the person responsible for making some of these decisions. Um, and oftentimes patients don't have these things in place. So we're sort of looking for next of kin, whether that's a spouse or a child. Um, and sometimes when, you know, when they don't have you know, those, those people, then it's finding out the right person to talk to. And then to make it even more complicated, it is having that conversation over the phone. 
Um, you know, most hospitals, especially those of us in the Northeast, in New York and New Jersey that have been hit really hard with COVID, have strict visitor policies in terms of who can come in and out of the hospital so that we can protect our community um, from contracting COVID also. Um, and so a lot of these phone, a lot of these conversations are done over the phone, um, which which makes it hard. You can't sit with somebody face to face. You can't you know, tell them, uh, you know, by looking at them sort of what's going on. We try to, you know, use iPads to FaceTime with the families so the families can see their family member. Um, so we're trying different strategies like that to make it easier, but it is certainly harder um, and, and definitely more challenging having these conversations remotely. And Jenna, I know that, you know, HIPAA will, you know, stop you from talking specifics, but can you give us just kind of like an example of what you have to say to these family members and to these patients? Yeah. So, um, so, you know, first and foremost, if somebody can talk and somebody is able to express their wishes, I mean, that is the best time um, and sort of actually even got me thinking about these sorts of things. What would happen if I was in that situation, <clears throat> you know, um, even though hopefully that's that's not the case. That that certainly gets you thinking about yourself. So when someone can talk, the the first thing to figure out is who they would want to help them make those decisions for them. That's called a healthcare proxy, um, and that's the most important thing. Then we sort of have to look at you know inpatients who are not able to express their wishes. Um, how old is the patient? You know, around sixty years old seems to be the age where under sixty. Um, you know, patients can still get COVID and have critical illness, um, but 60 seems to be maybe where, where patients are a little bit more severe and critical. And certainly those who have um, what we call comorbidities or other medical conditions, um, high blood pressure, diabetes, heart failure, um, other conditions that might make it difficult to recover. So we have to take all of that into play when we have these conversations and certainly you know, a 50-year-old patient who is otherwise healthy is very different from, say, an 85-year-old patient who has lots of medical problems, um, and their survivability from this is very different. So that's the first piece in tailoring our, our conversation um, with the patient or the family um, based on that. So, Jenna, you know that we are the anchor moms, and, yeah. and so a lot of our listeners are moms, of yes. course. You have a three-year-old, is that right? I, I do. Yeah. So talk to me and a husband, talk yeah. to me about what this has been like <laughs> from a family perspective. What are you doing to keep your family safe, yourself safe, all of that? Yes. So that's always the biggest concern, as I'm sure you guys agree, right? You know, you're sort of like when before we all had kids, you took risk and did whatever because it was only you that you were taking risk for. And now, you know, we have children and that is a huge part of, I think, the risk that we all put ourselves at on a daily basis. Um, so when I had first found out a couple of weeks ago that I was going to be sent to the ICU, a known ICU that was going to be all COVID patients. Um, so my exposure would go from limited and possible, um, you know, exposure to definite. Um, I maybe took it to a more bit of an extreme um, and we have a room off of the side of our house that has its own access bathroom everything its own ensuite and so I actually moved into that room um, and my daughter didn't know that I was living in the house even though I was in the same house as her and my husband and he would sneak food to me like I was a prisoner in my own my own home um, but you know I, I just didn't know if you know and I'm 
very meticulous as, as we all are about we don't touch our faces. You know, I'm in my private office right now, so I don't have a mask on. But when I'm not here and I'm in the hospital or I'm even walking anywhere, we always have masks on. We have enough um, personal protective equipment or PPE, as I'm sure everybody has come acclimated to that term in the news. Um, and I didn't know if that was enough, if, if I could still pass it on to her or my husband. So I self-quarantined and isolated myself. Um, and I'm really fortunate to be part of a clinical trial here at Rutgers where we get tested for COVID every two weeks as a part of this trial oh. to try to assess healthcare workers' exposure to COVID in healthcare workers who are taking care of COVID patients. Um, so I'm on that trial and I've been tested twice and I had two, have had two negative results. So, um, you know, in my lap, most recent negative result came about a week ago and I had been in isolation for nine days. And once I got that result, I figured that I was doing the right stuff to protect myself. So I'm still sort of sleeping in a separate area, but I'm with my family finally, thankfully, and, um, and with them during the day. And, you know, then we sort of, my husband and I separate at night, just again, to try to limit as much as we can, since I'm the biggest risk in the house. So talk about how hard it is to deal. I mean, I, I, you know, the three of us talk about the mental uh, stress and how hard this time is. And we have nothing like what you're dealing with um, job wise and work wise. Talk about how you how you handle the anxiety, the, the mental load of all of this, both at work and then also when you come home to your kid. Yeah, that's um, that is definitely a challenge. And you know, the, the anxiety is, is twofold. I mean, you're always thinking, did I get exposed? Is this a new symptom? Do I feel warm? Is that a cough? Did I just have trouble breathing? I mean, it goes on forever. And I talk to a lot of my close friends from medical school and from residency, you know, who are all in different areas. And we all sort of have this phobia of, did I just get it? Is this what I have? And even worse, do I have it? And I don't know when I'm, you know, out taking care of people, even though we're, you know, we're totally protected. So I think that's, that's one part of it. Um, when, when I'm here and I'm at work and I'm actually on the units and like taking care of patients, it's sort of a one foot in front of the other. I mean, my, you know, my day-to-day prior to COVID happening was taking care of really, you know, complex cancer patients, um, and doing complex surgery and sort of you get into this headspace of needing to be calm and to handle things calmly and to do things in the moment to keep the patient safe, to keep everyone in the room safe and to keep yourself safe. Um, so I think that sort of mentality has prepared me to help to deal with this and to handle to handle COVID. Um, you know, it's always stressful about your your family and and the anxiety around am I bringing something home to them um I have sort of a, a crazy procedure or policy where I um you know I wear scrubs at work which is what I'm in now and then I change into a different set of clothes to go from work to my car to my house I then go into my garage close the door change into another set of clothes and then wear those clothes because they've not had any contact with the hospital at all into my house and then take a shower. And then I do the reverse when I leave and go to work. So I think having some of those 
steps in mind that you feel are being helpful can help to reduce and limit, you know, some of the, the anxiety and stress. Um, it's also helpful to reach out to other people who are in the same situation. You know, we have a program here at Rutgers um, that encourages us to reach out to two people a day. I'm really close with my partners and some of my other colleagues here in the department. And so I definitely speak to at least two people a day. And sometimes just having that 10 minutes or five minutes to, you know, vent about what's stressful or how you're doing, or if they feel the same way that you feel um, can be really helpful coping mechanisms. So have you had a conversation, conversation with, your, with your, your husband, husband in regards to, God forbid, if something did, you're obviously young, you had mentioned you're not in that, you're not, you're not over the age of 60. Um, but have you had a conversation if you were to get COVID, some of the things that you would want if you weren't able to speak for yourself? I mean, that must be really difficult. Yes. Um, so right, you know, as this was sort of happening, um, I have a couple of friends who are in, in law and one had referred me to a lawyer so that we could finalize our will, um, which sounds like a really morbid thing to say, but we had been talking about it for a, a long time, um, sort of as an aside and not at all related to this. Um, my husband had had a pretty significant stroke about three years ago when he was 35. Oh, um, wow. He is a healthy person with no underlying medical conditions, and it sort of came out of nowhere. He got a blood clot in his neck, and it spread to his brain um, and sort of shattered, and he had lots of different symptoms. And thankfully, he completely recovered, and he's only permanently deaf in his right ear. That's his only lasting symptom. Um, but, wow. you know, that happened... I started to think about it and I was like, we have to get this done just in case. Um, and then sort of time went by three years has passed. And then when this started happening and I knew I was going to be, you know, working in the hospital, I said, we absolutely have to get our will finalized and taken care of um, and just get it on paper because I will feel better since I'm a planner and a very type A person. I will feel better knowing that we've like done that. Right. And, and, you know, wills and, and those types of things are, are not final. You can always go back and make adjustments if, if the things that you've selected, you know, the various components of the will um, don't play out. But, but yeah, in terms of the medical side, you know, what would I want done? Um, you know, if there is, you know, we've, we've talked about all of those sorts of things. So, you know, if there's some sort of way that those in medical interventions would help then, you know, of course, at, you know, I'm, I'm 35 now. So at 35, I definitely would want those things done. But I don't want to have, you know, artificial <clears throat> living, you know, with no brain function for a prolonged period of time. So we went through all of those really difficult things that can be hard to talk about. But quite honestly, once it's done, it feels like a weight is lifted off your shoulders and you've put it on paper and it's finalized. And now we can just move on knowing that all that is taken care of. So, um, you know, we've talked to all of our children about the virus um, and how it's impacting their lives. How have you been talking to your daughter about this? Because it's impacted her greatly, not being able yeah. to see you. Yes. Um, so, you know, we've talked a lot about being home and that a lot of people are sick. You know, we live in a pretty tight-knit neighborhood. And so my daughter is always over, you know, with our neighbors, we'll all be standing outside, she's playing with all the dogs. So that's the other hard part is how do you tell your kids 
that they can't interact with other kids or pets in the neighborhood or people that they're normally used to like playing and, you know, touching physically, right? They can't touch their hand. They can't, you know, go over and give them a hug. They can't do any of that stuff. Um, so we've just talked about the fact that a lot of people are sick and that we all have to keep our distance, but we can still say hi and we can still talk to people. Um, and when I would FaceTime her from our room in the house that she didn't know I was in, um, mm -hmm. I would, I would tell her, you know, she'd, she'd say, oh, mommy, you're at the hospital taking care of the sick people. And so that's what she told a lot of her friends, you know, since she's three and it's 2020 and three-year-olds have Zoom calls at nine o'clock in the morning with like staff <laughs> Um, so she'll tell her <clears throat> friends that and her friends' parents that. Um, so I, I think she gets it and doesn't obviously doesn't get sort of you know how how big of an Severity. issue yeah, yeah, yeah all all at the same time um because yeah she used to go to right all of her kids used to go to school or have interaction with with other kids every day and now that's seriously limited uh jenna i feel like we you know there's so much in the news um there, there's just so much um happening right now and none of us really are seeing what you're seeing because um, you're really on the front lines dealing with a lot of these patients. What is there anything that you would wish people knew? You know, is, is there any information that you feel like isn't getting out or, or any kind of message you have as somebody who's seeing this um, horrific virus firsthand that you wish people would know? Yeah. Um, you know, the, the biggest piece that I think took a long time for people to take seriously um, is the social distancing and staying at home piece. And I think people really get it now. You know, we're starting to see in New York, um, it sounds like from the last, you know, reports that I've heard that New York things are starting to look better. Um, we're about a week behind here in New Jersey. Um, so, you know, I think hopefully we're slowing down in terms of our new and very critically sick patients. Um, but the the distancing, I mean, really makes a difference because the problem is, is so many people have the virus and just don't know it. Um, and, you know, they spread it to people who are more vulnerable or maybe even not more vulnerable. And they just end up having, you know, a, a worse course of the of the illness. Um, it is a crazy thing to, you know, stand in the middle of an emergency room and to look around, and if I could tell you, you know, without giving you any details about anybody, every patient is almost a copy and paste of the patient before them. Every patient almost comes in looking the same way. Um, and, you know, the, the respiratory struggle and not feeling well, and, um, and it is a really unbelievable thing to see something that we, at this time, can't cure and, don't have any high quality evidence for how to treat. Um, and that's coming from a cancer doctor, right? Where we don't have a cure for all the cancers that we take care of. But, you know, cancer gives us this affordability of, of time and being able to, to take care of patients. And this disease just hasn't. So the staying at home is a really big deal. Um, you know, hand washing. The other thing is I, I was in the ER yesterday and then after I left, I had to, you know, run out and do some quick shopping because I don't know about you guys, but I cannot get a delivery to save my life from any of like the five delivery services that I right. now yeah. subscribe to. Um, 
And I'm so surprised to see so many people out, you know, wearing gloves and they're wearing gloves, but they're touching their cart and then they're reaching in their pocket and touching their phone and then touching their face and then fixing their glass. Like the gloves are not protecting you. If you're touching something that's contaminated and then you touch yourself, you've just contaminated yourself. Um, So I think some more maybe situational awareness um, about if you're going to use these you know, this form of personal protective equipment and you're out in the community um, just to be using it right to make sure that you protect yourself. Um, you know, wearing a mask, not on the top of your head or on the bottom of your chin, because that's not helping either. Um, so yeah, social distancing and then just awareness about how you're wearing your PPE. I mean, and treat everybody around you as if they could potentially have the virus so that you really are aware and take care of yourself um, the best that you can. So we've been like stuck with our kids. Yes. <laughs> I, mean, I say stuck, you know, in a loving way. Oh, I get it. Uh, for weeks now, right? Like in our backyard, in our houses. So, um, it, I mean, can we go on walks and pass by the neighbors and, and chat a little bit? Can we go over to maybe um, a bench or a swing if no other kids are around with our kids? Like, or is all of that off limits? And should our kids be wearing masks and gloves? I mean, That's how, how far question. do we need to take this? So I think it depends on where you're located. I mean, there are certain, you know, us in our state, we have a universal masking policy across the state. So if you do go out to a store anywhere, you are required to wear a mask. Um, Not every state, especially those who have lower numbers, may not yet have some of those policies in place. Um, But I mean, I would really keep to the social distancing, Um, you know, and, and if you're walking behind somebody who's running and they're breathing heavily or you walking into what they could be breathing it's it's hard to know Uh, you know because there there is some you know report that the virus can stay in the air for as long as um three hours right and it can stay on surfaces depending on you know depending on how much virus there is being expelled also is another thing to take into consideration. And then the different surfaces, whether it's metal or cardboard, how long can the virus live on those surfaces? Um, I think what we know is, is that we can treat the virus by using wipes and soap and water and those types of things. But when you're outside and, you know, I, I would say keep your distance as much as possible, six to 10 feet, you know, staying, staying back and staying away. As far as playground, you know, I think the playground's a little bit tricky. Kids are notorious or mine is for like touching something and then licking her hand or like licking her hand and then licking my face or something she shouldn't be doing. Um, So I would just be cautious about other, you know, publicly used um, either equipment, whether that be benches or playgrounds, um, carry a pack of wipes with you if you can, when you go out, if you want to sit down somewhere and you are able to wipe it off, um, but I would almost steer clear of those things as, as much as possible. And I think you can socialize from across the street, um, but I wouldn't get any closer than that until until we sort of have some idea of how to help the control outside of social distancing, how to treat it. And obviously, you know, the ultimate goal is, is how to prevent it and, and looking forward to development of a vaccine. 
So Ingrid's wiping down her groceries. Should we be wiping down our groceries before we bring them in the house? Um, so Ingrid, I am just like you. I okay, after I went to the grocery store, I spent um, like another forty-five minutes in my garage wiping down all the packages. Yeah. Um, I also give all of my vegetables and fruits like a little soapy bath, um, yep. which makes me think of what was I doing before this. And I didn't yeah. do any of that, right? And my daughter would want to eat like an apple and I would run it underwater, but like rub it off really well with like a paper towel after. And I was like, well, that's clean. And now I'm like, that's not at all what I would have. I mean, I would never do, I would never go back to pre-COVID me when it came to cleaning those things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of it, again, depends on um, who you are and how you respond to those types of things. I certainly feel better when I can check that off my list and know that that's not any sort of increased exposure. And if you have the time, I don't I don't think it hurts to, to wipe stuff down just to be on the safe side. So Jenna, um, you if you've watched the news at all, you know that there's a big call across the country, especially in, in certain states for to open back up, the economy yeah. to, to open back up and get back out there. And I know that there's some idea of certain phases and social distancing continues, but as you're sitting there, you know, in a, in a hot spot, what are your thoughts as you see folks really clamoring to, to get back at it, to open, open the U.S. back up? Yeah, I'm, I understand completely. I, I understand and don't understand at the same time, right? I'm still employed. I have a job. I am not struggling, you know, to sort of meet my daily bills and those types of things because I still have income coming in. So I can't speak from that perspective of what it must feel like. And for a lot of people, you know, that I know also that have either had extreme pay cuts um, or have lost their jobs altogether. Um, so I understand, you know, the need for some sort of resurgence in the economy to help um, those that have have lost their jobs or are suffering. But at the same time, it's it's really concerning about what is going to happen, right? The virus hasn't gone away. It's not gone. It's still here. And if this happens in too quick of a fashion and everybody is allowed to come out or go back or attend, you know, parties and events where there's where there's more than just a few people, um, are we going to have another surge, right, at this time? And while I think the Northeast has been fortunate to receive a lot of equipment from the national stockpile, um, you know, when other areas start opening up, what's going to happen with those resources and who's going to start to need, you know, those resources? Will New York have another spike, you know, in cases where they're running out of beds and ICU beds and we're making, you know, these makeshift hospitals? I mean, I, I could never fathom like four months ago that, you know, Javits Center in New York, the big conference center would be turned into a hospital Um, or that some of the malls that we have here in New Jersey that have been turned into mobile hospitals, that we have tents outside of our hospital with beds. Um, You know, we have turned some of our additional spaces in our medical school and our dental school um, into spaces to care for patients. Um, So I'm just really worried that if it happens too quickly and uncontrolled, Um, we're going to be back to where we are now. Um, And keep in mind that the hard thing about this virus is that the symptoms really lag. You know, it's about five days we see symptoms, but we don't see severe symptoms until about eight days after they've contracted the illness. 
Um, and that can even in some patients persist for two weeks. So once we reopen things, we won't truly know the impact of the reopening for two weeks. And look how long it's taken almost four weeks for us to, to try to level and flatten and get things under control. So I'm definitely concerned about the structure, how this is going to happen. I have one more question. Um, <clears throat> so I'm like not handling this very well. And I feel like you are like handling it really well as a mother and as a doctor during all this. How do you do it? <laughs> and what is your advice to other moms who are just kind of feel like we're losing our minds? Yes. Well, thank you for that. Um, I definitely have my times where I am not handling it, handling it well. Um, so I am right there with you. Um, you know, I think it's, uh, it's the same mentality I have here that I try to do when I feel like things are getting really tough at home. You know, one foot in front of the other, you know, looking for things or people or stuff that is supportive. Um, you know, I've been enrolled in some of the, um, you know, for, for healthcare workers, there's been a lot of, you know, either people passing out free stuff or giving you free memberships to apps. Um, so I, they Headspace offers a free, uh, a free membership to healthcare workers to sign up. So I started doing that. I mean, that's not something I ever did before. Um, exercising is helpful. I, I have a Peloton that I use and that's really helpful to jump on the Peloton or even to do some of the like meditation classes that they have or, or other, you know, running classes and, and their workout classes, but, um, it's hard. And, you know, just knowing that you have people there that you can connect with and talk to these like zoom calls that I do once a week with my friends from med school and residency, um, where we have like our own virtual happy hour um, and all talk about our experience with it is um, is really helpful because all of our experiences are unique and we all have our own struggles. And my struggle or what I do on a day-to-day -day is not any more difficult than what everybody else and every other mom does on a day-to-day. -day. It's all different. Um, I think yours is way harder. Oh, I'm going <laughs> to second that. I'll second yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. We're just TV people. Like, there's not that much pressure, really. You are saving lives out there. You're doing a lot. <laughs> so thank you. I appreciate that. But, you know, I think we can all reach out and, and be supportive to one another. And I think that's the best way to help to, to get through this. Um, it's hard. It's not over, sadly. It is just beginning. But I think, you know, things will change, you know, in the future. And hopefully, you know, we'll all be all be more cautious and, um, you know, and really help to, to fight this from from coming back a second time. Wow. Well, thank you so much for joining us and for all the information. This has been super helpful. And I'm just like, wow, hats off for everything. Yeah, in you're awe doing. of everything that you are going oh, through right now. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. So thank you so much, Jenna, for joining us. Again, that was Dr. Jenna Marcus um, from University Hospital in New Jersey with lots of good information. We will um, tag her and her social media accounts as well so you can follow her also. Um, but wow, just some unbelievable perspective from somebody dealing with an unbelievable situation right now. And, yeah. and shout out to all the, the healthcare workers Absolutely. right now, like what they're doing, Jenna and also all the other doctors, nurses, everybody in the medical field, just whew unbelievable the work really, that they're doing yeah it's really it's actually really inspiring because she's like mm -hmm. putting her life on the line 
to serve other. I mean, this is what doctors do, but this is like case in point. This is like why you go to med school, you know? Yeah. And yeah. then she goes home and she's with her little girl. Yeah. yeah. Which is a whole nother job <laughs> as we right. all know. Yeah. yeah she's hey. like working two jobs right now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, okay guys. So let's do a win of the week. Win of the week. Win of the week. So this is um, a collective anchor mom's win of the week. Uh, we did a Zoom happy hour date night, uh, and it was and, and it was uh, <laughs> it was um, co-ed. So the spouses were allowed to join, um, and you know what? We talked for like hours. We had a really <laughs> fun time. I know. I couldn't believe all of a sudden I looked at the clock and I was like, "Wait, is it 11 p.m.?" Yeah, which is like super late for us, obviously, because yeah, right. we're like old, old women. Um, I have to say, I know that you guys have done a lot of Zoom calls too. It was, I think, I laughed harder on that Zoom call than maybe any other in the past couple of weeks. Um, it was hilarious. I, I want you to know, I felt like I learned a lot about you guys by talking to your husbands, like things that I didn't even know, and now I'm trying to even remember what were some of the things that I that I learned, like. Um, I don't know that we need to go into all the things. Oh, we don't. We don't want to like reveal all the secrets. <laughs> well, we learned about an accident that Katie had. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. See? Listen, I um, <laughs> my husband revealed that I fell off the treadmill last week, which instead of being very concerned about me, he thought it was the most hilarious thing and felt like he needed to share it with with everyone. Yeah, I well, fell off the treadmill. Okay. Like times are hard. We're in the middle of a global pandemic, okay? Well, you had, like, battle wounds. I mean, it's like a serious <laughs> fall. And we I did a podcast last week. Like, we taped it right after, and you never mentioned it I know, it I didn't even us. mention it. Yeah, you didn't tell Your us. You didn't tell us. us. Yeah. No, I loved it. I loved this whole thing. We learned that we learned about uh, Karen's husband and about his hidden like singing skills. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. yes. It was funny because I felt like each of the husbands were like just ready to just like hold nothing back <laughs> and like unleashed on what on all these little secrets about the wives in front of each other. And it was just <laughs> so funny. Uh, Which is also funny because we tell each other like everything, but apparently but not, there are not, not everything. <laughs> yeah, not everything. In fact, gotta bring the husbands these, on. One of these days, and we've talked a little bit about this before, but maybe we need to do it while we all are in quarantine. We need to do like an anchor mom special edition with the husbands. Like maybe Father's Day is coming up. I don't know. Uh, or should we let point. them do their own podcast? <laughs> no, no way Ooh. is that ever happening. That's I feel like we have to have like a censorship button. Correct. We, we have to have that. like a mediator. We have to have at least one anchor mom on the call at all times. <laughs> yeah. I think it could quickly turn to like a random talk that is nobody really cares to listen to except the three of them. So. Or yeah, they just well, reveal secrets about us that. I was going to say. Yeah, or, or it's yeah, actually or riveting. <laughs> it's riveting because people are like, what? I never knew. Our highest rated podcast ever. Yeah, the husbands <laughs> reveal the real anchor moms. Oh yeah. All right, guys. Well, uh, that was fun. We should do it again soon. Yes, for the sure. Zoom call. Yes. Oh, yeah, I thought you meant the anchor moms podcast, and I was like, I mean, aren't we gonna do it again <laughs> next week? I don't. We know. will we'll do it again. Next week, guys. We've been doing this for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was great to see you guys' faces, and um, it was really great to talk to Jenna. I mean, great perspective yeah. and a really interesting um, conversation. So, bye, guys. All right. All right, guys. See you next week. Hang in there. Bye.
Thanks for listening.